This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching, and we want you to stay tuned today as we look at a portrait of Jesus Christ that is found in the Bible, in the Old Testament. I hope that you'll stay tuned today. Now, on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course, and we're going to uh, pause long enough that you can learn more about the course and how to receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 877 711 I want to be reading now from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah and I'm in the 53rd chapter and I want to read the first six verses of this chapter. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded by our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every man to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now we come to Calvary, the place where one man died that all men might live, that the place where one man was disgraced that all might be saved by grace. We come to Calvary, the place where one man suffered that none should have to suffer. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the most important event in all of human history. When Jesus was crucified, that this is the only time in all of human history that the Godhead was separated. It was while on that cross that Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the only time in all of history, human history, 
that a member of the Godhead died. It was Jesus, the Son of God, that died upon Calvary. The, the crucifixion of Jesus is the central point, the focal point in the history of mankind. He died for our sins according to Scripture. And with His death, God's eternal plan came to fruition. In Galatians, the fourth chapter in verse 4, the Bible says that when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. I've just read to you from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, a portion of the chapter. And this is the most touching reading I believe there is in all of the Bible. The, the, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is a very touching reading because it paints a picture of man's need and of man's Savior. One of the things that we see from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is the sin of the world. In the 6th verse, the writer says, All we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned every man to his own way. So all of us are like sheep that go wandering away. You know, God made man in His own image, Genesis 1, 26, and also verse 28. And a part of that is the fact that man has certain volitional powers. Man has the ability to choose or to reject. He has the power to obey or to disobey. The greatest power we have likely is our power of choice that volitional power. There are those that teach that we become sinners by birth, that we're born sinners. But the fact is we become sinners by choice. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10, the Solomon said, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. The reason we are sinners is because we have made some bad choices and bad decisions. Now this specific sin that is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 53 is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. You know, when a man rejects Jesus Christ, he stands in the way of other people. When an individual rejects Jesus Christ, he forfeits hope. When a man rejects Jesus Christ, he forfeits the abundant life. 
And when an individual rejects Jesus Christ, he aligns himself with the opposition. Jesus said, either you are for me or you are against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So we're either for Christ or we're against him. We either accept him or we reject him. There isn't any middle ground. Despised and rejected of men. The fact is, Jesus is still rejected of men. So sometimes people raise the question, who actually killed Jesus? And there are those that want to point their fingers at the Jewish leaders. There are those that want to point their fingers at the Roman soldiers and the Roman government. And for sure, they had a part in the death of Jesus. But the fact is, all of us put Him there. Our sins caused Jesus to go to the cross. All of us rejected Him. All of us have turned our backs upon Him at one time or another. And I don't believe that there's a sadder picture painted in all of the Bible than the one in verse 3 of Jesus despised and rejected of men. But this chapter also paints the picture of a substitutionary sacrifice. Je Jesus became a substitute sacrifice for the whole world. Listen to verse 4. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But notice verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions, that is, for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities, that is, for our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus went there as a substitute for me, for you. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was without sin, 1 Peter 1, 21, 22. And, but Jesus Christ became a sin offering for the whole world. He was sin for us, but He knew no sin. It is our sin that put Jesus Christ upon the cross. But you just think about how lightly we take sin today. You just think about how many people try to reason sin away. But Jesus was crucified for sin. That's how serious sin really is. Death by crucifixion was of ancient origin. The Jews borrowed the method of crucifixion from the Phoenicians. But the Jews honed it down to a fine art. And there's not a more agonizing death than that one could endure than death by crucifixion. Try to imagine 
having nails driven in you through your flesh, fastening you to an old cross, a piece of wood, piece of rough wood, and hanging on that cross, nails in your hands, nails in your feet. There you are, crucified, crucified. That's the most horrible form of torture known to man. And yet Jesus Christ was crucified for my sins and for yours. I really didn't deserve Him doing that for me. None of us deserved it. That's the reason the Bible says the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. And grace means unmerited favor. The unmerited favor of God has appeared bringing salvation for all men. There's nothing that we had done or would ever do to earn the gift of God's Son. It was strictly God's grace. His favor that we did not earn, that we did not deserve, that we did not merit. Jesus died for my sins. But that doesn't mean there isn't something that I must do. In Acts 16, the jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, there is a divine side of salvation. And that's what God did that we might be saved. And there was a human side. That's what I must do in order that I might benefit from the gift of God's Son. And so Jesus was our substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus died for me. He died for you. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul said that God loved him. He loved Paul and he gave Jesus for Paul. Jesus gave himself for Paul. And he gave himself for you and for me. He was a substitute. But also in this chapter, there is the picture of satisfaction. Notice down in verse 9 beginning. Well, let's read beginning in verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Did you notice that? For the transgression of my people was he stricken, for the sin of my people was he stricken. And then verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked and with the, with the rich in his death. Je Jesus died and was buried in the tomb of of a rich man from Arimathea. But Jesus, when Jesus died on that cross, there were thieves on either side of Him. And because He had done no violence, neither was any deceit in His mouth. Now verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. It pleased 
the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. He shall have put him to grief, and when he shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Let me ask you a question. How is it that God could be pleased with the death of Jesus? How is it that he could see the travail of his soul on that cross and God would be satisfied? God is a holy God. And God is a just God. And when God's holiness is violated, when God is offended, His justice demands payment. And there was, must be a payment for sin. And the payment for the sins of the world was Jesus. And when Jesus died upon that cross, God was satisfied. He wasn't satisfied that His Son was suffering. He was satisfied in that the price had been paid. He was satisfied in that the plan that He had had in place from eternity was now completed. When Jesus uttered these words from the cross, it is finished. God was satisfied. And Jesus Christ died in my place. The cross really is just the climax of His physical suffering. Jesus was wounded in the judgment hall, bruised, beaten. His back was lacerated until it was an ocean of blood. And then Jesus was taken by lawless hands and we is crucified. Jesus died to redeem us. He died as a ransom. He died to appease the wrath of God. Let me read some verses to you from the fifth chapter of Romans, verses 8 and 9. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us being much more than justified by His blood, we're saved from wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. How? Through Him. It was the death of Jesus that appeased the wrath of God. And when Jesus went to that cross, the debt was paid in full. But there's another picture in this chapter of Jesus, and that's in verse number 12. It's the picture of a suckering Savior. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressor, and bare the sin of many, and made in intercession for the transgression. In Hebrews 2.18, the Bible says in that he hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them, succor them that are tempted. 
Jesus is able to help. Jesus is able to comfort. Jesus is able to heal. Jesus is able to save those who are in need. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. The greatest need of the world today is Jesus. I mean, granted, we have lots of needs, jobs and and, and lower debt in our nation, and, and on and on we could go. Need cure for cancer. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But the greatest need is for men to know about Jesus. And when the, Philip the evangelist came to the chariot side of the man from Ethiopia in the 8th chapter of Acts, he came not to help him physically. He came to help that man spiritually. He came to talk to him about Jesus. And as the man from Ethiopia was riding along in his chariot, Philip came to the chariot side of the man and he saw that he was reading the Bible. And the place the man was reading was from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Isn't isn't that interesting? The, The very chapter that we've been studying about today. And the Bible says in verse 35, that Philip began at the same scripture in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, where the Bible says he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. So he began at that same scripture and he preached to him Jesus. I've often wondered all that he said about Jesus. I, I don't know all that he said about Jesus. I know what Philip preached when he went to Samaria earlier in Acts chapter 8. He preached Christ. Acts 8, 4 and 5. And then in verse 12, the Bible says, When they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, and the kingdom, they were baptized, both men and women. So there are at least three things I know he talked about. He talked about the authority of Christ. Number one. Number two, he talked about the kingdom of Christ, that is the church. I don't know what he said about those things. Maybe about the authority of Jesus, he might have said what is recorded in Matthew 28 and 18. All authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Maybe in regard to the kingdom, he might have cited what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John the third chapter in verse 5. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. I don't know what he said, but maybe he said some of those things. But then a third thing we learned that he preached was about baptism. Because the people were baptized, how would they know to be baptized if he had not taught them? And maybe he said to them what Jesus said in Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But I do know he preached Christ. He preached Christ. And the Bible says as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now let me pause there long enough to say, the only thing that a preacher or anyone else would have a right to ask a person who would desire to be baptized 
is the same question that Philip asked the eunuch. And that is, do you believe Jesus is Son son of God? And the only confession that is necessary is the one that the eunuch made. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now that's different than saying, I believe that God for Christ's sake has pardoned my sins. You see, that's an acknowledgement. That is, you believe by making a statement like that, that you're already saved and then you're going to be baptized. Well, that's not what the, uh, the Philip asked the, uh, this eunuch, and that's not what the eunuch said. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, how did he respond? He commanded chariots, stand still. They went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. So it must have been a lot of water for both of them to be able to get into it. And he baptized him. Philip baptized the eunuch. Now, when they were come up out of the water, so they had enough water for them to come up out of it, and the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. And so here's an example of what happens when you preach Jesus. Here's a man who said, well, why can't I be baptized? Philip said, you can if you believe Jesus is the Son of God. He said, I do. So they went down into the water, And Philip baptized the man, and then Philip went on his way, and the Bible says that the eunuch, in verse 39, went on his way rejoicing. Now, why do you suppose he went on his way rejoicing? I I remember hearing a, a, a very popular preacher in America reading that one night, and I think he made a statement that he might have not made had he really thought about it. Because I know that he believed that you're saved and then you're baptized. But he said after he was baptized, he went on his way rejoicing because now he was saved. That's exactly right. Jesus said, he that believeth, that's what he acknowledged that he believed, and is baptized, that's what he did, shall be saved. So he had every reason to rejoice. And I'd ask you, Do you have reason to rejoice today? I'd urge you to become a Christian just like that man did. Jesus died to save you. That's what I've tried to show you today. And Jesus wants you to be a Christian. And I'd urge you to become one today. I also right now want to give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And if you're not certain where it's located, you call us. We'll give you that information. And also, right now, before we close, pick up the telephone and call for the free Bible correspondence course. Do it today. And it could be the greatest thing you've ever done. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you is my fervent prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to 
Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.